Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, If you don't know, I'm Father Morgan Reed, the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And we've been in a series in the lectionary, which is kind of, if you're not used to that terminology, it's like a Bible reading plan for the church. And we've been in the Old Testament this week. uh, Instead of being in Isaiah, I decided to take um, our psalm passage and we'll look at Psalm 23 this morning. Uh, And as we do, let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, be our good shepherd. Drive out our enemies. Give us rest. Restore us. Be our host and let us know the joy of mystic, sweet communion in your presence. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, if you follow me on Instagram, you're used to my Instagram handle that has father dad in it. And I love being a father dad. I had a friend who uh, her dad was an Episcopal priest and they jokingly and lovingly called their dad father dad. And, uh, and I like that. So being a father dad is a real gift. It's also a terrifying responsibility. Uh, and a few weeks ago, after the service, we processed out as normal. And I stood in the back ready to give the dismissal. And I was holding my son, who's made it a habit of his, to come and join me in the procession, which I love. Um, but after the service was done and uh, I did the dismissal, then he started to sob. I don't remember the reason. It, it just happens these days. He's three. So one of the things that happens when he started sobbing, he started uh, just burrowing his face into my chasuble. And my initial thought was, no, not the chasuble. And then... I realized that was a terrible thought, and it was actually beautiful. As I thought about my son wetting his tears, or wetting my chasuble with his tears. And it's beautiful because this thing, this garment, that's supposed to help us be drawn into worship and communion with the Lord, is something that as my son looked at me, he said, this is still my dad, and I will weep into his shoulder, regardless of what he's wearing. And, And our worship... Our worship lends itself to the beauty of a transcendent God who's over all things and in whom all things exist. And what I love is that God's kingship is never separated from his closeness as a good shepherd. The two of those things don't get separated with our Lord. And I love that, again, for me as a dad, you know, I get to be father dad uh, where my son can weep in my chasuble and that's okay. And, and it's a beautiful image of God, who is king and shepherd over his people, transcendent, but also close. He walks through our mess with us as a good shepherd, leading us uh, into a direction of peace and rest. So our king shepherd is the one that we're introduced to in Psalm 23. He permits us to rest as he protects us. And he longs to lavish all the blessings that he has on us. He longs for that. He takes joy and delight in doing that as as he enjoys mystical communion 
with, with us, his people, his sheep. And so this psalm is an invitation to trust. It's an invitation to trust the one who walks through darkness with us, who wipes our tears with his mighty hand, the same hand that was raised against Egypt. And he invites us to come and to dine with him in safety, delighting over and over again in his caring presence. It's a really beautiful psalm. It's a really beautiful psalm, and it's a really beautiful picture of the gospel. And it's no accident that we read Psalm 23 right after Psalm 22. You might say, well, obviously they're one after the other. And I would suggest, actually, they're, they're put next to each other with a purpose. That Psalm 22, which is this agonizing prayer that we're used to hearing at the end of Maundy Thursday, begins with the agony of what feels like God's absence and ends with this declaration of God's kingship. Psalm 22 was put right before Psalm 23 on purpose. It's a petition for God's kingdom to be over all the earth in Psalm 22. And then what might be lost to us is the ways that kingship and shepherding are tied together. This was a common theme in the Middle East. You can read documents like as far back as 1700 BC where uh, Hammurabi is the king over Babylon. There's beautiful prose in his prologue about his rulership going over all the face of the earth like the sun, and he's also called a shepherd. Uh, in the ancient Near East, kings and shepherds shared the same, uh, share this overlapping authority uh, and share responsibilities that overlap, I should say. A good king is tender, a tender shepherd. And a good shepherd exercises proper authority to ensure the well-being of the flock, which is why it gets tied into kingship. So this first image that we encounter in Psalm 23 is a sheep who's being led to places of rest and places of refreshment. Now let that conjure up images in your mind of what feels like a place of rest and refreshment. Where have you felt that? The sheep are able to lie down in green pastures. There's grass there. The wilderness, when we think of the wilderness where the sheep are grazing, this is sort of away from the general population. There's not as much agriculture that's produced there, probably less rainfall than what you would find in more inhabited places. Um, but in these places in the wilderness, there are spots where you will find uh, grass sprouting. And so the shepherd's job is to keep moving through the wilderness to find his sheep places to graze. That's his job. And so God brings, God as shepherd brings them to this fertile place where green pastures are overflowing, where not only is the green grass abundant, but they actually feel safe. So safe that they can eat a bit, lie down, feel like they don't need to keep on eating or else it's going to be gone. And then they can go back for more later after they've rested. God brings them into that kind of abundance. And so when you talk about making them to lie down, it's a gentle kind of causation where they feel like they can lie down because of the abundance around them and, and their safety. So in the ordination of a priest, um, if there are many of you for whom this is your first Anglican church, and so you may not have been to the ordination of a priest service before, the bishop reads something to every ordinand who's going to be made a priest. 
It's this weighty exhortation. There's also an exhortation to deacons. And there's also an exhortation, if someone's consecrated as a bishop, that the archbishop will read to them. Um, these are really weighty things. And so, you know, if you think of our congregation, this, this was read uh, to every person who was ordained a priest here. So uh, Lucas, who's not here this morning, Daniel, who will be here next week, and, and, and Stephen and, and Reverend Susan. Like, we've all had this read to us by the bishop. It says this. Remember how great is this treasure committed to your charge. They are the sheep of Christ for whom he shed his blood. Not my sheep. These are Christ's sheep. The church and congregation whom you will serve is his bride, his body. If the church or any of her members is hurt or hindered by your negligence, you must know both the gravity of your fault and the grievous judgment that will result. Therefore, consider the purpose of your ministry to the children of God. Work diligently with your whole heart to bring those in your care into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of God and to maturity in Christ, that there may be among you neither error in religion nor immorality in life. Finally, equip and lead your congregation to proclaim tirelessly the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a little more before that. There's a little more after that. But I want you to know what, what we priests are called to. Um, you know, this is, this is the commitment I made to you as Christ's flock. And so it's a good reminder of uh, what we do in our tradition and ways that you can pray for us as we carry that out. And I think the call here then is to be tender shepherds. Like my job is actually to show you the way that God tenderly shepherds you, which is terrifying. And, and, um, and this is why not many are called to be priests, and many ought not be priests. Um, and this call, I don't think, is just to priests. But as my job is to equip you as the sheep of God, you also are called in your spheres to, to show God's tender care as a shepherd for those who are, in some ways, under your charge or that you have influence on. Priests are examples. They're supposed to be examples. They're supposed to be equippers of those who show the shepherding, tender care of Christ to the world around them. So you can think of your own circle of influence and who's in it and the ways that you are called to show the tender shepherding of Jesus. And that's part of what it means to equip and lead the congregation. That's my job. Uh, To proclaim tirelessly the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to help you embody the tender shepherd. That is my job. Um, And it's something that I pray for you. It doesn't just mean that we say the right thing, but we are living out the gospel as an example. So we're living out the grace that God has given to us in Christ as we shepherd other people. Now in verse 3 it says this. uh, We're used to hearing it say, He restores my soul. Now the issue though in Hebrew is that Uh, at least in the Psalms, they don't think of this difference between the the soul and the body. Uh, You're just a whole person. So there's this poetic way of referring to you that I might say my soul, but what I really mean is you uh, or me. Um, It's poetic. And so you you could translate this as he restores me, every part of me, not just my spiritual self, but who I am, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, The shepherd restores me. 
It's a very embodied experience of restoration, and it's much more robust and I think edifying than uh, than an idea of just spiritual saving of souls, right? Um, and I know I brought this up a few weeks ago, but I want to remember the example of the prophet Elijah in First Kings 19. He had this huge spiritual victory, and and that spiritual victory draws the the ire and the anger of Queen Jezebel, who orders. Uh, his execution. So he flees to the wilderness and he sits under a tree. And if I were to paraphrase, what Elijah says is, you know, Lord, I, I don't know what else to do. Like I have done everything you asked. I'm done. I am just done, Lord. You can sort of hear the frustration, the anger, the tiredness. And as he falls asleep under this tree, there's this tender image of God who sends him a messenger, an angel. And the angel just touches him gently, wakes him up. Says, Elijah, can you wake up? Just have something to eat. I've brought you a warm cake. It's very tender. And he comes a second time after Elijah then falls asleep a little bit. And he does the same thing. He gives him a cake and he says, you know what, Elijah, this journey is going to be too hard for you. And so um, if you don't eat, so just sit here and let's start by eating a warm cake together. It's really a a place where waking up and eating a warm cake is an act of faith. And so maybe some of you have experienced that kind of deep depression before. He eats and eventually he does go on this 40 day journey on Mount Horeb and he sees this beautiful, terrifying, and comforting vision of God while he's on the mountain. But for now, faith just looks like, hey, get up, eat a warm cake. And that, I think, shows us the tenderness of the shepherd. He meets us where we're at, and he says, can you just do the next good thing? Don't worry about going all the way down here. Just start here. Uh, And so our... Our Lord is a shepherd who provides abundantly. But I'm going to admit that it doesn't always feel that way, right? And so how does a Christian, as we think of Jesus as our shepherd, own this truth that God is a loving and tender shepherd in the midst of things like dissolving marriages or unexpected loss of income, pregnancy loss, uh, death of a loved one, chronic illness, trauma? How do we claim this and this is why I'm grateful for verse 4 I would translate it something like even if I should walk in the valleys of of deep darkness I will not fear disaster because you are with me and your rod and your staff they will comfort me even if I walk through these deep dark valleys the valleys of deep darkness I will not fear disaster so the deep darkness here describes um, what in the Middle East is called a wadi it's this place where there's a dry stream bed that's cut through the wilderness uh, during seasonal flooding and it makes this deep canyon that doesn't always have water and it often doesn't it dries out and it gets hot Um, but it also does this strange thing where because the walls are so high it keeps out the sun Um, And so it can be really dark at certain times of day. It's a place where grass can't grow. 
And so the sheep are being led into this dark, deep, hot wadi. And they feel weary. And, and I've wondered how this passage um, might speak to those in immense suffering. I had a, con- a conversation like that this week where it just caused me to go, Lord, I, how is this an encouragement uh, to somebody going through what they're going through? But I, I think it's a good reminder to us in Psalm 23 that not every moment of the sheep's life is going to be the abundant pastures. Not every moment of the sheep's life is going to be calmness here next to these still, uh, easy-flowing waters of abundance. Not every moment will. But it's not that we don't fear disaster because it won't come, but we don't fear disaster or harm because it's not ultimate. And it's not outside the ability of the shepherd to redeem and restore. Some moments, those waters and the grass are going to feel impossibly far away like as we're in the deep dark wadi we're wondering where as we wander in this dark um, canyon where is the grass where is the water when are we going to get there but the good news is is that god is taking us to a place sometimes you have to go through this wadi to get to those places of abundance and so he defends his sheep he doesn't leave them alone in the darkness of the valley When you are in those deepest and darkest places, start with the resolve that God is with you. Say it another way, God is for you. God is with you. God is for you. He's not saying get over it. Just move on. Ignore the fact that you're in the wadi, that you're in this deep darkness. Right? He's a tender shepherd. And and he might just be encouraging you today to take the act of faith to get up and have a piece of bread. And so the dark valleys are going to be unavoidable, but the good news is they are never apart from God's presence. And so the image here of the shepherd is a tender and good one, and it changes in verse 5. We move from God being a tender shepherd to God being the host of a feast in verses 5 and 6. Being in communion with God is so much more than just rescue or rescue from sin. It is so much more. It is renewal. It is an invitation to abundant delight where God is the wealthy host who is lavishing blessing and protective care and safety and honor to his guests. And I was thinking about uh, one of the tough seasons that I went through. And again, knowing your stories, some of your stories, this is this tough time is nothing compared to the tough times that others of you have gone through. But it illustrates the point. When I was in seminary, I had a tough time because I was constantly butting up against unmet expectations, and I just didn't deal with that very well. I didn't know how. One of the saving graces for me when I was in seminary was this professor that I got to know who would take me out for lunch now and then. It wasn't often, but it was enough in this little diner down in Dallas, Texas. I remember it had a cowboy on a horse with a lasso. It was very Dallas. Um, And when we were at this little diner together, it was probably called Texas Diner because everything is Texas there. I would would get chili, which again, in Texas, they don't put beans in, right? Uh, And so I would get my Texas chili and I would get my jalapeno cornbread. And we would discuss St. Ephraim and the Syriac Old Testament and my hopes to eventually do a PhD. It was a riveting discussion. 
Um, but you know, those meals, those meals were so helpful to me. Again, in two years, it didn't happen that often, but it happened often enough. I felt safe. I felt like I could share what was on my heart, the joys, the things I was learning, uh, where I was frustrated, and I felt understood. But more importantly, I could listen to this man who was far older than me and who had perspective on things that I didn't yet understand. He had a helpful perspective on what I saw as pain points in my seminary experience, and he didn't provide me any intellectual answers for how to get over it. And honestly, if you were to ask him, I don't think that he would have even told you he was pastoring me in any meaningful way. He was just being a kind person. Uh, his listening ear and his perspective and his willingness to feed a poor seminarian were a tender grace to me. Uh, it felt like God was saying, hey, Morgan, have some chili and some jalapeno cornbread and just listen. And that's only the beginning of your journey. Like You're not done. This isn't the end. So be faithful today. We'll worry about tomorrow when it comes. But today, can you sit here and focus on your chili and on your cornbread and just listen? It was very tender. And, and I know, again, many of you have gone through much deeper and darker valleys than this. But I would love to become a community of faith where we have tender shepherds who extend God's shepherding care to one another. A community who can listen, who can make a meal with you, who can weep with you, who can help you take the next step towards green pastures, whatever that looks like for you. So Jesus Christ invites us to the table, the one who himself has gone through the deepest and darkest of valleys to walk with us on our way out of it into green pastures. In the Church Fathers, this is often taken as a catechetical text. In other words, instructing you about the faith. They see the waters as having a baptismal image, the green pastures as being um, God's abundant provision, uh, and, and the table as being a Eucharistic feast. And so um, you can see this Christological imagery in the Church Fathers as they interpret Psalm 23 into the church that we have been brought into this psalm is an encouragement for us. It's an encouragement for us to invite others into how much God loves them and wants not only to rescue them, we're not just saving souls, but to restore them completely, mind, body, soul, spirit, and to lavish his goodness on them. And so it's an encouragement for us to continue as tender shepherds to create safe spaces for people. It means allowing people to share what's on their heart. It means listening well to other people and encouraging them without giving pat answers to really complex problems. It means that we allow this divine meal that we share each week to spill over into the ways that we invite people to our tables and extend sacramental fellowship through really common means. It's an encouragement not just to be the recipients of God's pastoral um, care, but also to extend it to others so that they're experiencing God's tender shepherding in us. There was one commentary I read, and the language that they used is to become caterers at God's table. And I like that. I was thinking about that all week, and I know it's not in the text. I know we're also the recipients of the host's hospitality, but as the recipients, could we also become caterers? 
Um, God has prepared this beautiful banquet. And so my job is to make sure that other people are experiencing this feast and this hospitality as I also receive it for myself. Like I am getting the capacity to extend it to other people as a caterer. And so let's rest in Jesus' tender care, his pastoral care. And as we follow the shepherd, let's walk with other people who might also be in the midst of really dark, scary, and lonely places. And so we not just want to become guests at God's table, though we do at least want to do that, but as we receive this mystical union and communion with our God, let's also become caterers of God's divine banquet for others. Let me pray for us. O God, whose Son, Jesus Christ, is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follows where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen.